go to 1 Samuel tonight, chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is one that I preached a while back at a, uh, it was a pastor's fellowship that I was at, and I, I've been wanting to talk about it here and uh, just kind of holding off on it. I thought uh, yesterday I was thinking about it, and I thought this would be a, a good lesson to do. But I want to read this story to you in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. It said, And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba and his sons walked not in his ways and turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Uh, in this story here, we see Sam. This was kind of the end of the judges, the era of the judges, and the beginning of the era of the kings. God had been. Uh, we talked about it a while back. We did. The, we kind of did the Sunday school lessons. We went through and talked about all the judges, and Samuel's really the last of them. His sons probably should have been the ones, the next judges. But unfortunately, and it's really kind of hard to believe because you just. There's nothing you ever see negative about Samuel in the Bible, but we do see that he his sons were bad news. They didn't serve the Lord like he did. They were evil, and uh, you could say, well, that's because Samuel just he obviously had one flaw. He wasn't good at raising kids. But you know what? Sometimes uh, the devil he works a little harder on some people. I mean, Samuel there was he had two sons. He definitely didn't want two Samuels around because Samuel he was a good guy, and. The people, because of Samuel's sons that were doing wrong, and Samuel's getting old, he can't do the things that he used to do. He didn't have the same energy and the same you know, bright leadership ability. And they said, we want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel, of course, this upset him. This displeased him very much. And Samuel, I believe, he doesn't say this in here, but I believe that when Samuel got angry at the people, that he was that it was because he took it personally. He's thinking these people have rejected me. They rejected my leadership. I am their leader. I want my sons to be the next ones to lead them. Yeah, my sons aren't perfect, but you know what? These people they ought to they ought to follow and they ought to listen. And they took it. He took it personal. And he told, and then God, the reason I think Samuel felt that way is because when God tells them, he says, hearken unto them, give them what they want. And God says, they have not rejected thee, but they've rejected me that I should not reign over them. God was the leader in Israel, not Samuel. The folk, the people there, they weren't rejecting Samuel. They were rejecting God. When people reject the message that of the word of God, they're rejecting God, not us. And sometimes we do the same things. We take it personally when people don't listen to us. When you go and you try to give somebody the plan of salvation, well, they didn't listen to me. Well, 
I understand what you're trying to say, but the truth is they didn't listen to the Word of God. And sometimes we'll get angry and sometimes we take it personal. And sometimes too, you know, a preacher will get up and he'll preach a message and think, you know, these this better straighten the folks out, they better listen, and they don't. Not one thing changes, and it's real easy to take it personal and say, These folks just aren't going to listen to anything I tell them to do. But I believe that uh, the truth is they're not rejecting any of us, they're rejecting it's a rejection of God. And that's what God wanted to get across to Samuel. And many times, it's like in the Bible, we would see this with some people. Not all the leaders were like this. In fact, most of the good ones weren't. But sometimes, uh, you know, the leaders, they wanted to just destroy people when they didn't listen. Um, I don't know if I have it in my notes, but I don't know if you, you might remember the disciples when the people wouldn't listen to them. They asked Jesus if he would give them the power, like Elijah, to call down fire upon them. And Jesus said, you know, that's not why we're here. That's not, that's not what we're here to do today. And I, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of preachers out there and a lot of Christians out there. If they could call fire down from heaven on people, they'd be doing it all the time. And you know what? There's been a few times I probably would have too. I thought, good night, you know. I just, Lord, just torch them, you know. If I'm telling you, the disciples too, if they could have, they would have done it. Lord, just, you know, they'd have called fire down on them. They'd have burned every one of them up. And you know what? They all would have died and went to hell. And we need to remember when it comes to our mission and what we're trying to do. As much as we love those stories, we love the story. I love the story where that captain with the group of fifty came to Elijah. And he called fire down from heaven and he killed them all. And then another group of 50 comes and he calls fire down from heaven again. And then the third group comes and that guy, he just begs Elijah for mercy. Hey, listen, please. We're just, we're gonna, we're gonna die if we don't follow orders and we're gonna die if we do follow orders. Will you please have mercy on us? And Elijah was kind and he went, I love that story. It's like, why can't I do that? I'd get the crowd if I could call some fire down from heaven on people. We love those stories. I love the story where the people stood against Moses and the Lord opened the ground, opened up the ground and swallowed up those that opposed them and closed it back up on them. Man, why doesn't God do that for me? You know, why can't when people don't listen, we just have a hole open up in the floor and swallow them up and close back up? I promise everybody else in the room would listen after that. And boy, we do. We get real anxious to want to, you know, call down fire on people and cast people into hell. Well, I think there's preachers out there. You know, the Bible talks about the angels binding them hand and foot, but I think they like that job of binding people hand and foot. And if they could do it, if they could do it right now, they would, they would throw them in hell. And we need to remember that Jesus, though, all right, you know, we're in the New Testament now. And John, go to John chapter three, and we all know John three sixteen, a very very well known verse. But let's look at the very next verse. It says, "For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved." He that believeth not. For he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The thing we need to remember, lost people are already condemned to hell. I mean, they've been sentenced to hell. They are as good as there 
until that day comes where they call on Christ for mercy. They're already condemned. Jesus did not need to come to this world so He could condemn people. They already were condemned. They already were on their way to hell. He came so they could be saved. So they would believe and not be condemned. Jesus came to convert, not to condemn. When the judgment of God falls, it shows a failed mission. And a great example of that is Lot and his family. Remember in the book of Genesis, God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because it was a wicked city. But He decided that He would spare it if there was just ten righteous people. Now Lot, he had. we know there was him, there was his wife, he had two unmarried daughters, and he had at least two daughters other daughters that were married with husbands. So right there we know of at least eight. And that's if those ones didn't have any children, which they probably did. I mean, if Lot could have just reached his family, then that city would have been spared. But Lot was a very poor example. He was a very poor follower of God. He was, Even though the Bible says in the New Testament it calls him that righteous man dwelling among them. In seeing and hearing their unlawful deeds, vexed his righteous soul. And the Bible says that he, I mean, he was a righteous man, but he couldn't recruit his family. And the Bible says also in Genesis that when he went to go tell his married daughters and their husbands that God was going to destroy the city, that he seemed as one that mocked. Wait, why is he talking about the judgment of God? Why is he talking about God? This man who's a leader here in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because Lot was a poor witness. Because Lot was a poor example. And you know, the lost in our community here in Rock Falls, they're, they're already on their way to hell. Those that are lost, they're already on their way to hell. It's our job to get them converted. It's our job to get the Gospel out to them. And you know what? The Lord he still destroys cities. Maybe not with fire and brimstone like Sodom and Gomorrah. But let me tell you, there are, there's some towns out there that you go and it's, they're just spiritually dead as a doornail. I mean, spiritually, just absolutely wicked. You can't find a church there that even resembles anything that the Bible talks about. Just spiritually dead. That could happen to us. I mean, uh, financially dead. And listen, this area has got a lot of problems and I believe that the Lord wants to bring revival to this area. I think that's one of the reasons that this church was started. God wants to do a work in this area and if it doesn't happen, if there's not a revival in this area and if this town is destroyed, you know, a lot of people, they've got the statue, well, that goes to show, man, if those folks would have listened to us, if they, then things would have been better. They would have been better off. But listen, it's our job to convert them. It's not a victory when God pours out His judgment on people. Maybe your neighbor who you tried to witness to that they didn't listen and something happens to them. You see the hand of God or God's judgment come upon them. That ought to be, we ought to look at that as a tragedy. And we ought to look at that as a failure on our part. But many people, because we take it personal, when people don't listen, we look at that as a victory. 
And I'm sorry to say, but I think that's the wrong attitude. Because like, well, I, I did my best. I prayed for them. I witnessed to them. Yes, but Jesus died on the cross for them. He did a lot more than we did. And Jesus' heart's broken when folks die without Christ and go to hell. And ours should be too. But uh, the righteous people uh, are the lost in your community. They're already on their way to hell uh, and to begin with. And the righteous people, they want to be spared from judgment. Think, I mean, it was Abraham. He, wa- he, wanted them, he wanted the people to be spared. Moses is another great example. God many times was ready to kill the children of Israel. And Moses stepped in and said, Lord, please, you know, don't do this. Be merciful to him. The Apostle Paul did the same thing. He had the same attitude. He wished that he, that he could be accursed for his people, for the children of Israel. He loved them. Jesus had the same attitude. When he, even when he was on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They, these people, they were all willing to take judgment for their people. Moses told God when he was ready to kill him the one time, he said, Lord, blot me out of your book. You know, let me die. And you know, God didn't do that, and God ended up spreading people. Paul said the same thing. Jesus actually did take our punishment. Jesus did actually take the judgment. And all Jesus had to really and really all Jesus had to do to teach everybody a lesson was nothing. You know, we like to teach people lessons, don't they? Don't we? When they do something wrong, when they do something we don't like, when we feel like we've been hurt, we want to teach them a lesson. But Jesus, all He would have had to do to teach us all a lesson is nothing. He did not. All He would have had to do is not come, not die on the cross, and we all would have eventually died and spent eternity in hell. And we would have learned our lesson. We would have figured out that we were wicked. We would. We. I believe that people in hell. No, they deserve to be there. I know if you go to prisons today, you know probably half the people or more don't think that they ought to be there. I don't believe that's going to be the case. I don't believe that's the case in hell. I think people know that they ought to be there. The rich man, when he was in hell, he never he never asked to get out. He asked for mercy and just for a drop of water. If I could have just a drop of water, I'd appreciate that. But he didn't ask to get out of there. He, I think he knew he deserved to be there. He knew that that was where he belonged. And all we have to do to see the judgment of God in our area is nothing. It takes effort to stop it. I mean, you, you, I mean, if you want God to judge your neighbors, then do nothing. Don't pray for them. Don't witness to them. And yeah, it'll only be a matter of time. They'll die without Christ. They'll spend eternity in hell. I hope you're not okay with that. You know, and uh, we need to remember also that Jesus left heaven to recruit, not to reject. Matthew chapter nine, verse thirteen. Matthew chapter nine, verse thirteen. <clears throat> it says, "But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice." For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That right there is talking about everybody. I mean, everybody is sinners. Jesus came with a specific mission. He wanted to reach people with the gospel. He wanted them to be adopted in His family. That was His goal. He came to recruit, not to reject. And you know, a hostile spirit towards your community 
it shows a forgotten mission. You know, many churches sometimes what ends up happening is we can kind of become almost a social club. We'll become this elite group of people that because uh, you know we boy we do everything right, we dress right, we talk right, we smell right. You know, we do all those outward things right, and then some folks come walking in that maybe aren't like the rest of us, and we think, man, they're going to really mess up our little club we've got going here. You know, everybody in our church knows how to dress. Everybody in our church knows what to do. I don't, I don't know if these people are going to be comfortable at our church, and we don't do anything to help them. We don't do anything to try to recruit them. We just look at them. We see all those problems. We see all those that baggage they're bringing, and think, "Let's get them out of here." But that shows a forgotten mission. One of the reasons we are here is to encourage each other, and so we can have each other and you know be close and encourage each other in the Lord. But we're also supposed to be trying to get more in here. The lost, they're not going to agree with us right away. If they already agreed. We wouldn't really need preachers, would we? We wouldn't really need soul winners if they already agreed with us. God didn't send us out and ask us to go to the people who already agree. If they already agreed, we wouldn't need to be there. We wouldn't need to send missionaries to some of these countries that are pagan. Or we wouldn't need to send people to these countries that are mostly Muslim or mostly Catholic if they already were in agreement with us. We're supposed to go there because they're not in agreement. When we see the wickedness that's going on in different parts of the world, that ought to be something that causes us to want to go there. Hey, it's clear that the Gospel is not being preached in this area. That the Gospel is not... There's not The revival is needed here greatly. We need people out there so we can recruit more. And many times though, we just look at how wicked these people are and forget that. I'm not going to that group. I'm not going. I'm not going there in Africa. Those people they don't wear any clothes. They eat people. I mean, they've got all these diseases and things over there because they're just so disgusting, gross. They're that way because they're lost. And if we have that attitude of I don't want to have anything to do with them, we have forgotten why we are here. And thank God Jesus didn't have that attitude. But they're not. They're not going to agree. They're not going to agree right away. The people that we witness to, even your neighbors, they're not going to just automatically agree. But the reason so many people get bent out of shape when people don't agree, it's because I'm wanting to preach a whole message along these lines one of these days. But I believe it's because they're not sure if they agree themselves. Look at Romans chapter eight and verse thirty-one. Romans 8.31 but It's a pretty well-known verse, but it says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, I don't think there's anybody sitting in a church anywhere that doesn't agree, hey, yeah, if God's on your side, then you're okay. You know, one plus God equals a majority. You've probably heard the statements like that before. I mean, if God's on your side, who cares what everybody else says? But yet, when it comes to many of the things that we believe and that we say we believe, and even a lot of the things we practice, there's not a lot of confidence when we try to tell others. Hey, why do you people do this in your church? 
I really don't know. Not real confident. We're not sure what we believe. We're just kind of, well, that's what most of the people do in our church. And we need to under, and we just, and what we end up doing because we're not sure if we're even right, we end up surrounding ourselves with people who already agree with us. I mean, listen, that is classic stuff that goes on with teenagers in school. You go and you try to, you, know, you always get these little rivalries and things going, and you always go and you surround yourself with people that agree. We do that when it comes to sports. Alright, if you're a Cub fan, I mean, boy, you don't want to hang around people that are fans of teams that actually are good at baseball. Otherwise, you're going to be not feeling real confident. It's going to, you're going to feel intimidated. And so you, what do you do? You surround yourself with other, you know, blind followers of the Cubs. Other diehard fans. People that are going to be on your side and agree with you so you don't have to feel bad. And sometimes Christians do that. And I, I believe us as independent fundamental Baptists, we're doing the right thing. But there's a lot of people that they are removing themselves so far from the world and other people, surrounding themselves only being around Baptists because they're too intimidated by the world. They don't want to get questioned. I can't handle those questions. Because I don't have any answers. I'm just going to conform and do what everybody else is doing in my church. And the truth is, we ought to have answers. We need to know why we do the things that we do so we can recruit. So when we are asked the questions, we will know the answer to give. And we can give it with confidence. And we can give it with boldness. Knowing that, uh, knowing full well that, hey, if you listen, if you do what we're telling you to do, that it's going to lead you down the right path. And many people, though, they, they just can't handle the questions. And because they're just, they're not sure themselves. But, you know, there's preachers out there, they're really good at getting people who already agree with them to keep doing right. But how good are we at getting people who don't agree with us to come around. So I can come here tonight and I can talk to all of you about church attendance on Sunday night. And boy, you know, that's hey, I can do it comfortably. You all are going to agree with me. You already practice it. You already do agree with me. It's real easy for me to get up tonight and rant and rave and holler about faithless to the house of God to this crowd. But how about how convincing am I when talking to somebody who does not follow that, who isn't, who doesn't believe that, because the truth is, if what we're doing is biblical, we ought to be able to prove it, and I ought to be able to preach it with boldness on a Sunday morning, as well as a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, and that's what we ought to be trying to do. You know, we could all in here, we can get together, we could talk about the evils of alcohol and just how wicked it is and how you shouldn't do drugs and shouldn't smoke and any of those things. But how good are we at convincing maybe family members that are participating in it? Or friends or co-workers. How good are we at not just proving that it's socially bad. Obviously around here, we're all against it. But how good are we at taking the Bible and showing somebody that's lost that it's clearly something that violates the Scripture. 
that is clearly something that does not, that displeases God. It's clearly something that's going to destroy your life. Those are the ones we need to be reaching with it. I could get up here tonight, and I, you know, and I, and it's good to talk about stuff like that in case someone's tempted in taking that path in the church. We never know, but you know what? I hope I can convince lost people of some of those things too. I can win them over. And with that's we need to, we need to work on that. Try to be better on that. We need to put ourselves in their place. Think about how we would react whenever we knock on somebody's door and try to invite them to church. We got to remember they've already been harassed by the Jehovah's Witnesses, by the Mormons. They've already been there. They've already bugged them. They are not just listen. This isn't the South, okay? When we knock on somebody's door and invite them to church, they're not going to be, hey, how y'all doing? Come on in. Good to see you. They're not going to do that. We might get the door slammed in our face. They're, they're, they might just be polite enough to let you invite them but not really respond to anything. We need to try to put ourselves in their place and think they are not going to know. They're not going to just automatically understand what do we have to do to try to win them over? And you know, we some people they have this attitude. Well, I knocked on their door. I did my part. They slammed the door in my face. Their blood's not going to be on my hands someday. Far, you know, and as far as I'm concerned, they're on their way to hell. Not my problem. Boy, that's a terrible attitude to have. We need to try to put ourselves in their place and think by you know, okay, what would work for me? If I was lost, if I never, if I did not know what the Bible said, and somebody came knocking on my door, you know, what would I expect? What would get me to respond? If I was a lost person, and one of my coworkers came and witnessed to me, how would, how, how would I respond? How would I expect him to go about it? You know, what would work with me? Think about those things. Because that's what you do when you really are wanting to make a difference instead of just doing our job and saying, I did what I could. Um, My hands are clean. I mean, really desire to make a difference. But unfortunately, many people, we get too anxious to shake the dust of our feet off in places. You know, the Bible, or Jesus, he told the disciples to go into the cities. And he said, and preach to them. And if they don't accept you, if they reject you, you shake the dust of your feet off at that place. And it will be a curse to that city. That city is going to be in trouble because they didn't listen to you. Jesus told them to do that. And you know what? Sometimes we do need to do that. You know, there's sometimes you're going to go and somebody, they're going to. Raise a stink. They're going to tell you, you ever come to my house again? I'll call the police. Blah blah blah. You know what? You need to move on. Obviously, there's certain things we have laws and things we got to respect. We're going to have to leave, and there's nothing else you can do. But we should, that ought to break our hearts. We should be out there. All right, I'll shake the dust of my feet off. And guess what, buddy? You're cursed. Boy, you're going to be in hell before you know it. I mean, good, there's a good chance you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You might be dead tomorrow. And I hope you are. <laughs> you know, boy, that's a horrible attitude. And that's, but I'm telling you, there's people like that, just anxious 
to see people because you know and you know why? It's because they've taken it personal. You rejected me. You're not going to listen to me. Well, really, why should they? I mean, really, why should they? You know, brother, brother Don Jones, uh, that he, he's in heaven now. We used to go out knocking doors all the time, and you know, we of course we got all kinds of rejections and stuff. And you know, we used to, we used to joke about it, and it was, we you know we just kind of look at each other, and you know, you know, Don, he was he was kind of rough looking. You know, he he had a pretty rough past and everything. He you know he had the tattoos and everything. And, and I told him, it's like, you know, I said, really, when you stop and think about it with these people, I said, how would you respond if two people like us you know, came, came walking up to your door? And, you know, it's like, we're not the most inviting looking people in the world. We're kind of ugly. I mean, I was just like, you know, I mean, really, you can almost in some ways understand it. But most people are not, they don't do that. They, they take it personal. How dare they reject me? Listen, they don't know you. They don't know that you're the one carrying the King James inspired, infallible, preserved Word of God. They don't, they don't know that stuff. They don't know that you're from an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. And that's the right one. They don't know that. How in the world are they supposed to know that? And yet, when they slam the door in our face, we're ready, to, we're ready to see them go to hell. And that is a horrible attitude because Jesus, He came to give, not to get. He came to give, not to get. Jesus Christ, He came to He gave His life. And He did it. I know it was for the world, but it was individual too. I believe He gave His life even for those who would reject Him. There's people that he he's got nothing from, and even those of us who have been saved and we receive that gift of salvation. I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, what do we really give back to him? Not much. I mean, we're we're not that much. We don't do that much. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think probably all we give back is, you know, heartache. But yet, he's still good to us. He came to give, not to get. Anger over others wasting what you've given. It shows a fraudulent mission. We think we talk, man. You know, I, man. I prayed for these people. Well, I I witnessed these people. I did all these good deeds to them. They rejected what I have given them. Listen, Jesus said, uh, "Let's go to well Matthew chapter ten and verse seven. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read this verse to you. Jesus said, and he and as ye go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers." Raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. I gave my life for these people. They they should give something in return. Now wait a minute. You know I understand people do give to us. They give time, but really though, when you stop and think about it, you know there's people in my life that they gave. They I mean I had Sunday school teachers and just you know preachers and people that. They gave to me, but really, when you think about you think about the person who led you to the Lord. Right? Think think about that person that led you to Christ, that took the Bible and showed you how to be saved. Did they charge you for that? Did they say, "All right, I showed you how to get saved. Give me a hundred dollars"? No, they they didn't. It was free. They gave they gave you that, but you know what? Somebody else gave it to them too. 
for free. And somebody gave it to that person for free. These are things that have been freely passed down through the years. That's the way it works. Unless uh, you spent some time in the Catholic Church and they made you, you know, buy indulgences and things like they used to do years ago to get people out of purgatory or to get yourself into heaven. Uh, listen, it's, it's this free stuff. It's free that's been passed down. And a lot of times we like to talk about all that we do for other people, but the truth is, what we're do, we're not doing anything for anybody else that somebody hasn't already done for us. They gave it to us freely. Therefore, I believe we owe it to others. I believe we owe it to the world to witness to them. Why? Because somebody witnessed to us. Because somebody witnessed to them. And you can trace it all the way back to Jesus Christ. He's the only one that really did give. The rest of us, we've received, we receive, and we pass on. And that's why, you know, as a pastor... I don't want to have this attitude. Oh, you know, I gave, I did this, these people did. You know, get nothing in return. No, that's a horrible attitude. It's a horrible attitude. We give no matter what. And we just keep on giving. You give to that neighbor. You give to that coworker, that family member. You keep witnessing to them. You spend time praying for them. You go ahead and fast for those people. And if you get absolutely nothing in return, you know what you do? You move on and you give to someone else. And you keep giving, and you keep praying, and you keep caring. Freely you receive, freely give. People are not going to just automatically know that you're from the one true church, that you're that one true voice. There's people all over our community saying the same thing. What we we're going to have to prove it. We're gonna, you know, and the way we're gonna do that is by being a light, like Jesus said. You're the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. We're going to have to be the salt of the earth. And we're going to have to be full of the Holy Ghost. That's what's going to really make the difference. That's how we're going to stand out. We're going to have to be that light. We're going to have to be salt. We're going to have to be full of the Holy Ghost. And those who are really looking, they'll they'll figure it out. But in the meantime, our attitude is not, well, I can't wait to just see this town burn because that's where they're heading because they're not listening you know i preached a message you know last week against drinking and people are still going to the bars well they weren't here <laughs> they didn't they didn't hear that message preached you know we've got to, we've got to get these things out to them man all those people i can't i cannot believe it i preached a message last week about how jesus christ is the only way to heaven and you know what next this week, there were still people going to the Catholic Church and praying to Mary. What's going on? They didn't hear it, did they? They weren't here for it. Or they should. I put my messages online. Well, so did a lot of other people. How are they going to know? Not everybody's heard it. We've got to get this message out to them. Well, I did. I told them. I invited them to our church. So did the Jehovah's Witnesses. So did the Mormons. What did you do to make an extra effort to get them to listen to you over them. Because, you know what? If it's just over... You know, maybe you think, well, they should have listened because I'm better looking. Well, chances are we weren't. Maybe the Mormons, they usually look nicer. They always wear the nice white shirts and have the name tags and look all professional. But, you know, we've got to do something to stand out. 
We're going to have to be a light. We're going to have to do things like love your enemies and bless them that curse you. We're going to have to go through the fire and not be burned like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When we go through fires, we like to scream and holler about all the pain instead of focusing on Christ like they did and getting through there and coming out, not even having the smell of the smoke on them. We're going to have to go through some difficult times and stay close to the Lord and not let it defeat us. There's things that we've got to do to make the difference. And I'm afraid many times we get this attitude, these people are rejecting me. No, they've not rejected thee. They've rejected God. It's not you. It's God that they've rejected. We need to continue being merciful. We need to continue trying to reach out. Don't give up. Don't say, well, I witnessed. My job's done. I'm going to shake the dust of my feet off. And when they go to hell, I'm going to tell everybody about this person that went to hell because they didn't listen to me. Well, if they went to hell, it's because they rejected Christ. Not you. I mean, and really, let's just be really honest. They didn't reject you. They rejected Christ. If they rejected you, that's really not that hard to believe, is it? I mean, why? I mean, do you really think it's you? I mean, just imagine. Be honest. If I'm the one bringing the plan of salvation to people, what about me is going to make them believe that? What about me is going to cause them to change their life, their way of life? There's nothing about us, but there is about Jesus Christ. And that's why we've got to promote Him and build Him up and not take it personal. When they do reject, you know, I obviously didn't show them Christ well enough. I've got to, I've got to figure out how I can get them to look past me and get them to see Christ. Boy, if they'd see Christ, I know they would want this gift of salvation. And so we keep trying and it doesn't work, man. I keep getting in the way. Alright, you know, Lord, help me get out of the way and help them to see you. And God will do that. But most people, they take that rejection so personally and then they just give up and they're done. And we don't want to, we don't want to have that attitude. They've not rejected you. They rejected him. And let's keep on going out to those lost people and trying to bring them to Christ. So let's all stand together.